This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. As they were finalizing their manuscript, Ronnie's daughter sent them a screen grab of an Instagram post from Jabby App that read, Never underestimate a cycle breaker. Not only did they experience years of generational trauma, but they stood in the face of the trauma and fought to say, This ends with me. This is brave. This is powerful. This comes at a significant cost. Never underestimate a cycle breaker. Ronnie and Jenny read it and cried. A few weeks later, Ronnie found a post on Instagram from Xavier Dagba and sent it to Jenny. All this time, you thought you were nothing but the black sheep of your lineage, whereas you were being initiated to be their liberator. Healing looks good on you. Keep going. Jenny cried and something in her shifted. These two amazing sisters started their journey with a sincere desire to spare their children the pain they had endured, to break the intergenerational cycle of abuse and addiction so that they could live beautiful lives. They also hoped that they could reparent themselves and live beautiful lives of their own. And they did, if imperfectly. Though they are still learning and growing, Ronnie and Jenny have each created something well beyond what we could have imagined at the beginning of this ride. This means they are more than survivors. They are, indeed, rock stars. Valeria interviews Ronnie Tishner and Jenny Weaver, the authors of Healing Begins With Us, Breaking the Cycle of Trauma and Abuse and Rebuilding the Sibling Bond. Ronnie Tishner has a PhD in sociology, specializing in family studies from the University of Michigan, and Jenny Weaver has received her degree from the Vanderbilt School of Nursing and is a board-certified family nurse practitioner with over 25 years of experience in family practice and mental health. Their book, Healing Begins With Us, shares their inspiring and hopeful story of healing from their painful upbringing. Meet Ronnie and Jenny at heartandsoulsisters.net. Here's the interview with Ronnie Tishner and Jenny Weaver. In your own words, who is Ronnie Tishner and Jeannie Weaver? Mm, well, Ronnie Tishner, I'm the oldest. I always get to go first. Absolutely. So, <laughs> yes. so I, I would say right now I'm I'm transitioning. For for a long time, I've worked um, in academia as a professor and taught about issues related to family and done research about, um, in particular, family dynamics and the impact of of you know, growing up with trauma and abuse and those kinds of dynamics in the home, what kind of impact that has on people um, moving through their lives. And and at this point, I'm transitioning out of academia and just full-time wanting to do this work with my sister where we can bring together some of the things we've done professionally, but also our personal experience of growing up in a home with addiction, abuse, and untreated mental illness. And we, we feel like telling our story about how we managed to sort of come out of that and rebuild our relationship with each other and find healing and break the cycle in our own families. Like that is, there's so many people who are trying to do that. And we have just for a number of years now felt called to just speak our truth around this, just share our experience in the um, belief that that can help someone else on their healing journey. Beautiful. 
Uh, Janie, is your turn. <laughs> yeah, and I'm Jenny Weaver and the younger sister. <laughs> and I think where I am now is uh, I'm, I'm continuing to work as a family nurse practitioner. And, and really, I think Ronnie and I talk about this a lot, about being just living as full a life as we can, living fully, authentically, all of who I am, all of who I am meant to be. Uh, and being an instrument of love and light in this world is the really the focal of my that's where my mind and heart are um so i'm i i look at that and how i relate to my patients in palliative care how i relate to my children my grandchildren um being present for anyone who comes into my life for that day, that moment, um, you know, it's really, it's really important. I think that we, that we remove our masks and certainly I have worn many masks, uh, mm-hmm. to try to survive the adverse childhood experiences that, um, that I experienced. But at this phase in my life, I want to live as open hearted and, and fully as full of expression of who I am in physical form as possible and to be just a, a a being of love and light to every everyone I meet. And that's really so important to me now. Yes, and it comes across that way. It's uh, truly beautiful to listen to both of you. This intention, it's almost beyond intention now because I always think about impact because I have had the experience of trying too hard to with my intentions, but it was the impact that really mattered. I remember trying mm-hmm. to change people around me um, in my own way, but then they were not really receptive or open, and that was not mm-hmm. really coming across the right way. So it's really the impact and the presence. There's something about about you too that's really powerful, though, and because it's close to my family too, my husband, as I mentioned. So that's kind of I think that's what it is. It brings up this feeling of again of. Tr- wanting to to do something about it but i know that not that i cannot i could help if they were open so i'd love to hear actually before i have that question i have way too many questions now here (laughs) (laughs) before that are you planning to coach both of you coach others we need like my case my my husband if you were open would you coach him to start the healing process within his family Yes, yeah, absolutely. We've mm-hmm. we've talked about that quite a bit that we um that we would would love to work with people who I mean we, we've done a number of things as you know we've we've created a podcast people can listen to we've written a book um kind of you know generally telling our stories but we that is um a goal for us in the in the short term rather than long term I would say is that we'd like to make ourselves available. And that's part of my transitioning out of the job I've had for years in academia is creating more time in my life to do that sort of thing there. We know there are people who might feel like they, uh, some people can take in information really well by reading and apply it and, and do a lot with it. Um, others feel like they need more um, individual or one-on-one attention. And so that, that is something that we would love to do because um we've come to think of ourselves kind of as guides, right? We're not people that have all the answers or anything, but, but we've seen a lot of stuff. We've been through a lot of stuff. We've been doing this for a lot of years. Mm -hmm. And so um, we feel like we, we do have a lot to offer someone who is genuinely seeking, whether it's, I'm just starting to realize I, I had these issues in my family and now what do I do? Or, okay, I realize it and I've got some information, but I don't know what to do with it and how to apply it. Or I've been doing this for a lot of years and I feel like I've reached a plateau. What can I do now? So at those crucial moments, um, sort of guiding people can be really um, helpful. I mean, we certainly had different folks along the way that that mattered for us, that that worked with us and, and helped us in that way. So, so it's, it's interesting you ask that because we actually do want to do that. Okay, that's wonderful to know. And that information will be on your website when it, it happens, yes. yep. right, mm-hmm. Ronnie? Absolutely. Thank you. So I didn't mention the book yet. The title is Healing 
begins with us breaking the cycle of trauma and abuse and rebuilding the sibling bond. So we talked, we had a conversation about your book and it was a fun one, meaningful one about, I think, three months ago. I'm not sure about the time, but that I have some of the information here still. The title for this episode that came to me was inspired by the end of your book, Cycle Breakers and Family Liberators. Mm. That caught my attention. Beautiful. It, it was actually, it came, I think it was you were inspired by messages from social media, I believe. Some people who left messages there. And I have that. Yes. The introduction, I had to have that. <laughs> I had to. It was just so powerful. Cycle breakers and family liberators. Ah, so I want to ask a question to Jeannie. Yes. You mentioned removing the masks. So what is it like to live without a mask? And what, what is a mask? What is using a mask? Oh, I think we all use masks, you know, um, to hide our feelings, to hide our vulnerabilities. And so some of us might hide behind our titles, our our education, our, um, you know, personality traits, you know, certainly as a mascot, you know. One of the roles that that I played was, you know, using humor to diffuse tension and to um, to take the to make people laugh before you know they got too close. You know, um, it, it's a way of disarming um, a situation or disarming people. So lots of different masks that um, that we can that we can wear that. Uh, that keep people away from the heart, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the whole point of the masks. The masks are, you know, building the walls around the heart and putting the masks on are all part of of coping mechanisms that we learn uh, to to keep from being injured more. Mm-hmm. And and so, really, it doesn't. The masks don't really protect you from the injuries. It just keeps you isolated more. It keeps people from knowing who you fully are. And it keeps you from living a heart-centered life, really. From from you know, I think it's I think it's much more fulfilling to live with a heart open life than than walling off your heart. And I would rather I would rather live my life, what's left of it, in a in a heart-centered and open-hearted way than to continue to hide all of who I am in the hopes of, of preventing more injury. Mm, yes. Because that, that's a sad way to live, really. When you're, when you're living with masks and you're living with a walled-off heart, you're living in fear. You're living in a state of survival mode. You're not living fully. Mm-hmm. True. <laughs> so true. For me, the challenge, I guess, when it comes to... The expression of that, the way it's interesting, the way you put it, living without a mask or being heart-centered, living with an open heart. It's how do we, because it seems like we are very much as humans, is a fundamental truth to connect with others. And for me, the challenge has been being truthful and kind at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't work a lot of times. I see that with my husband, with my family, my sister, my brother. It doesn't really work for, with some of them, even though I, I try, but it doesn't work. They still become defensive. So mm-hmm. in the, in the, what would you do within those cases? Would you rather even not express yourself, your heart to others and, and kind of doing something about it, perhaps? Yeah, I, 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 I would love to yeah. hear from you. I well certainly I'm I'm not without my own my own challenges yes. <laughs> in, in some of my closer relationships and and so what I try to do is um, lead by saying I feel I feel this I see this um, and you know I, I certainly do my best to not offer advice you know it's really it's really hard to do that, especially with children yeah. uh, and grandchildren and and so you know. You know, I oftentimes will look to my sister Ronnie and say, I don't know, I'm at a loss on this one, but this is what I feel like I need to say. And, or this is what I said. And, and really, I think, I think if you, if you are just 
honest with your loved one, your friend, your whoever, and just say, you know, I, I want, I want to understand, or I want to connect, or I want to, I want to share my, my feelings about this because I feel that by being silent, if they come to me and they're talking to me about any topic, if I am silent, then I am endorsing whatever they're saying or doing. And if I feel strongly about sharing, well, this is what I'm concerned about for you, then I have to share that by saying I'm feeling very uncomfortable with X, Y, or Z, and this is why, this is what I'm feeling about it. These are my concerns. And wording it that way, I'm not saying that it's received, you know, 100% with, oh, oh, good, I'm glad you shared that with me, you know. <laughs> yes. but, but, it, but at <laughs> least they know that I'm leading from my heart. They know I love them. And, and I, also, I also try to make it a point of saying, I am, I am talking about discernment here. I'm talking about what I am witnessing, what I am experiencing, what I'm seeing. And that doesn't, it's not a judgment. That is just a, I'm concerned about this, not a, this is right or this is wrong or this is good or this is bad. I, I don't, I, you know, I really don't think in those terms. I think more about, is this, is something going on that might harm you or is something going on that might harm this other loved one that we're all connecting with? You know, I, I'm thinking more in terms of, are we contributing to their well-being or are we causing any harm here? And so that's, those are my concerns is that we try to eliminate the behaviors or the words that we're using that could cause harm um, and that we are coming from a place of, of loving acceptance of each other. We're, we all are allowed to live our lives the way we choose what is best for us. But certainly I think that we're also here to encourage each other and to also help each other when we see that there is something going on that may be causing injury to one another. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to speak up and to do it in the most loving, conscious way that we can. Mm, yes. I'm not saying I'm perfect at that, but that is my that is my goal. Yeah, and it um, it comes through though, listening to you. I love how, I have to say that, I love how kind you sound. Because <laughs> <laughs> who doesn't love kindness? <laughs> You probably have heard or seen the quote that says that even it's the language that blind can see and yes. deaf can hear kindness. Yes. That's true. So, Ronnie, I do have a question for you as well about mental health. How do you define mental health these days? What is to be mentally healthy? Oh, wow. Um, I guess I would speak for myself and I, as I think about my own mental health. Um, I, certainly it's, it's one of the foundations of my mental health is the ability to put my needs first. Maybe not in every single case, but most of the time, right? So my need to sleep, my need to eat well, my need to get exercise. I've for years, um, I've developed a practice where I get up first thing in the morning and I meditate and I practice yoga and I get in some kind of physical activity, cardio activity. And I've always done that, since I always, but for decades I have. Um, I, I say I take my time off the top of my day. So I do it first so that I know that I get it. And sometimes that means I get, I've been getting up really, really early, especially when my daughter was younger and Maybe my husband would leave for work early in the morning, and so I would get up early to make sure I could get it done before he left for work, because um, he always left before I did. Uh, you know those kinds of things. So, so meeting my 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 needs, function, sleep, food, exercise, meditation, yoga, those kinds of things. Um, and then it's then it's balancing for most of us if we're living particularly in family units, and we if we have caregiving responsibilities to children or to aging parents or that sort of thing, um, we always have to make sure that we are in the mix, that we are, are taking care of ourselves. Um, and then just continuing to work on my recovery. That's my other mental health. I mean, you know, I was listening to Jenny talk and one of the things I've had to work on is that I um, had real perfectionist tendencies as a young person. And um, 
part of that is judging myself harshly, but also judging other people harshly. And so I used to joke with the family, particularly as, as our kids got older, I would say, I'm a package deal. I am bossy and judgmental. So, you know, sort of trying to unwind that, um, you know, being less concerned about what other people are doing, having fewer opinions about what other people are doing, you know. So whatever it is, if, you know, if, if you're someone out there listening who's on your own recovery path, you know where your issues are. And so continuing to be honest about them, um, approach, you know, approach yourself with some humility, but also with kindness and compassion, because um, even if you didn't grow up in a, you know, more extreme situation of childhood trauma or abuse, just being in this world, everybody takes hits, you know. And so we're all we're all trying to recover from a bully in elementary school or an unfortunate love relationship in our teens or whatever. So we, we, we're all trying to um, heal those wounds in some way. And so just recognizing where we are vulnerable, where we do feel like there's room for growth and, um, and continuing to pursue that growth, but in a really compassionate way, right? Giving ourselves a break, giving ourselves grace when we, fall into a pattern again that we've been trying to break. Um, just for me, balance. Balance in taking care of myself versus taking care of others and balance in trying to continue to grow as a person, but giving myself space to be human and being loving about the times when I fall short of whatever mark I might set for myself. Mm, yes. Beautifully said. Self-care, self-love, balance. I love the the sense of humor part of it too. I mean, I think was that was that intentional? But it, it, yes, it was. Yes, it was. Absolutely. Yeah. Making fun of myself, yeah. yes, absolutely helps. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, tell me about mm -hmm. it. Although I see my husband, he does that more than I do. And I thought I just it made me think about what Jeannie said earlier about the way that we try to cover up the masks that we use, even mm -hmm. using sense of humor, which there's a difference, right, Jeannie and right. Ronnie between. Try, I think they call it not ah, disassociation. There's a name for in psychology that I just interviewed somebody about it that I forgot the name that he mentioned. Yeah, there's a, they, they actually use a term when that is being human, sense of humor is being used as a way of distancing other people yes. from getting to know you. Yes. Mm -hmm. Which is very different when it comes from healing. <laughs> it's so different. Would you like to add something, Jenny, to this? topic of mental health and what that is? Oh, I think Ronnie did a great job. Um, <laughs> did. I, yeah, I think, I think really, really honoring yourself, loving yourself and, and trying to find that balance is so important, um, especially for those of us who are taught to negate and, and ignore our, our needs and even our pain. So it's, it's very important, I think, to find that balance of, of putting your needs first at times and you know you, you talk about you have to pour fill your cup so you can pour out into others right, right. and that that um, is very true yes and I agree and I noticed that even for me it's not easy sometimes to separate the self-care self-love from being selfish because that can be perceived that way by other people and I know I have not really been able to let's say, not feel guilty about it when I say no mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. my husband mm -hmm. or people in my family. So I'm wondering if mm -hmm. that's, I think we talked about this before, I'm not sure, but do you have that feeling? Do those feelings still come up? Of oh, heavens, yes. Yeah, because we, well, certainly, yeah, this is Jenny again. We were we were certainly conditioned that our, our needs, our feelings, our pain didn't matter. And therefore, we were not taught at all how to nurture ourselves, how to what self-love and self-care was. We had absolutely no training in that area, really. And so that that was a very hard fought um, lesson for me in particular. Um, I, you know, in my early years of marriage and being a mother, I felt like my my children had to come first. And I was, you know, running myself into the ground, really. Mm -hmm. And so I certainly, I think, maybe struggled with saying no um, more so than Ronnie did in my earlier years. And 
you know, I was an overachiever in my own right of going to school and and volunteering at church and community things. And, you know, people saw, oh, Jenny's getting it done. Let's see if Jenny can get this done for us. And I had a really hard time um, saying no. I was overextended, certainly, at times. And um, and that's that's something that I'm very good at saying now. Mm-hmm. Is a no, no, thank you. Yeah. Appreciate <laughs> you thinking of me, but no, thank you. Um, yeah, it's like I give you the gift of no. <laughs> no, great. <laughs> oh my god. So, yeah, and that's so that's important um, because you know it. It's <laughs> there are plenty of people out there with with talents and gifts to share and. We need to be generous and allow them to share them. <laughs> yes, I also I also heard somebody say something um, just a few weeks ago about how they had this friend who never did anything she didn't want to do. Like if she didn't want to do it, she would just say, "No, thank you. That's not my cup of tea." And she said, and this person who was telling the story said, one of the things I really love about this friend is that I know whenever we're together and we're doing something, that she's a hundred percent there. I never have to wonder if she did this out of a feeling of obligation or a feeling of guilt or some sort of pressure. So it really is kind of a gift mm-hmm. to give people when you say no, because they're like, well, okay, then I don't, then I won't have somebody reluctantly along resenting it the whole time. <laughs> drag my energy down, you know? So, <laughs> so I love that reframe <laughs> that mm-hmm. saying no to the things you really don't want to do means that when you say yes, you are fully there. And you're mm. all in. Wow. And so I'm trying I'm trying to think about it that way. Oh. Wow, mm. I love that. I mm. never heard it that way. It, that's so true. Wow. And I can't say that has been my case <laughs> because I was really bad at saying no. And I'm still am, but not now it's much more conscious. Yeah. I it's it became almost like it's it comes from a sense of freedom. It's because it seems like I have more space to share. So it's easy to say to say yes to something that I feel like maybe and not feel resentful about it. So I noticed that too. For in some cases, not all cases, of course. Wow, that must be a challenge. I mean, an interesting challenge with children for, for you both. I can I can only imagine I'm not a mother. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Right. <laughs> how do you how do you say no um, to children when you, when sometimes you want to say yes, but you know they won't help them. They need to learn on their own or or for some other reasons you, you have to say no or say yes when you mean to say no. So that must, that's, a, that's a different topic, I would say, for now. But wow, I can only imagine. You just made me curious about it. So I want to go back to, yes, so the book. Healing Begins With Us. That's the book that you have written. So you are two sisters and survivors who found healing from a tragic cycle of intergenerational trauma and abuse. And the book is based on on the podcast conversation, podcast conversations that you had. So I'm reading this here because this is the brief information I have for now. Of course, I have a lot more here, but just for this moment at this time, please share a little bit more about the book without all the details, of course. <laughs> and also some, some insights that you have gained, perhaps even during writing the book, but it didn't make the book. You didn't include uh, in a book for some reason. And probably if you did include in the book, you won't share, but, but who knows? I have to ask the question. And then also some insights that were revealed to you after the book was published in the 2022. For both of you, either way. Okay, well, I'll give sort of an overview of our story. Um, so I'm Ronnie, I'm the oldest. Jenny is the youngest, and there's a brother in between us. Um, when we write the book, we don't use any names except the names of our husbands. We just for their privacy because we're not we're not telling the story to wound anybody. We're trying to tell it to help people. So, um, so we had the brother in the middle and we, like many dysfunctional families, particularly families with addiction problems, we as kids were kind of cast into very specific roles. So as the oldest, I was the hero. Uh, Jenny was the youngest. She was the scapegoat. Um, so the, the, and later the mascot and our brother was the, 
classic middle silent invisible child. And so as the hero, my job was to be a really high achiever to make the family look good, essentially, right? If anybody ever suspected something was wrong with our family, they could point to me, the hero, and say, oh, no, look at this great kid we produce. There's nothing wrong with us. And then conversely, the scapegoat, Jenny, gets all the psychic garbage of the family dumped on them. They are a problem. She was lazy. She was slow. She was, um, you know, all these terrible things. Um, And our brother's job as the middle child was – the silent one was just to disappear, was not to make any demands of our parents and just, you know, just just kind of blob along through life. And then Jenny took on another role. There are others that, that people can take on, but the hero and the scapegoat are the, the two main ones. And then Jenny referred to the mascot, which is the child that, again, often this is a younger child. Their job is to be cute, to distract, to be humorous, um, so that, again, take the troubles off of take the minds off the troubles in the family or to diffuse attention in the family. And so we played these roles very, very well into well into adulthood. It wasn't until we were in our late twenties, um, we had married and started having children that we started to connect with each other because growing up I had the dynamics in the family are just so complex when there's all this kind of abuse going on. And um, the kids are often pitted against each other, which we were. Jenny and I were not particularly close growing up. Not to say we didn't have some good times together or do things together, but we just didn't have a warm, close relationship. But we were not we were not satisfied with that. We knew we wanted to be better, but we didn't know how to do that. One of the reasons we had trouble doing that was because our mother used to triangulate the communication between us. So we would talk to her, and then she would tell us about each other and didn't always tell us the truth about each other. (laughs) So we would still be pitted against each other. And so once we had children, we decided, you know, being good mothers was really important to us. And since we were both sort of going through this at a similar time, we got married within two years of each other, had our first child within 17 months of each other. We started talking about, oh my gosh, this is what the baby's doing. And I just don't know. I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. And because we were trying to do things so different, And so we started talking about our childhood and what was done to us. And it was over years of these kinds of conversations that we started to realize, oh, they were abusive, right? Emotionally, physically. Um, And it was, you know, after that, then it was realizing that the dad had an addiction problem and there was some untreated mental illness. And so it was a really long, slow realization process for us. And once we did, we tried to be open and honest and we we wanted to be the close, warm, loving, happy family that we had told ourselves we were, but we weren't. We tried to get our parents and brother to see what was going on and to pursue healing with us, counseling as a family, et cetera. They lost their minds, our parents in particular. The abuse escalated particularly towards Jenny, um, who as a scapegoat would be the most likely target. And then we eventually came to the conclusion that we had to sever contact with our parents and our brother. And so we did. We've had a little bit of brief contact with them at different points, but no contact at all for the last 13 years. So. Yes. And then in terms of what that journey has been like, Jenny. Yes. Oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) What that journey has been like, my gosh. Um, It has been... Well, it has really been, uh, I, I think the, the easiest way to put it is, is you, you, as you're waking up out of denial, uh, you are basically looking at your life from a completely different lens and realizing that who you are has been completely hijacked into fulfilling a role that was needed by the addicted, abusive, mentally ill parents that you were born to. And so you start questioning everything. You start questioning, who am I really? What do I really want out of life? Um, what is important to me? Um, what, what matters? And so it's a, it's as you're waking up, I really consider it a waking up from denial out of this sleepwalking you've been doing, you know, um, 
con this conditioning that you've had since infancy. Um, and, and really you just, you are constantly questioning mm -hmm. everything, yeah, every aspect of your life. And, and really, I got to say the safety, um, the safety net for me was my really loving and supportive husband who, who said, you're a beautiful person. You, you may be in counseling and trying to sort all this stuff out, but you're still a beautiful person. Yeah. You're still a wonderful person. Uh, and my sister, and of course her wonderful husband. And they were really, the three of them really were my safety net of, of reality check too. Mm -hmm. Because you really start wondering, uh, uh, wow, you know, what what fully happened and and how how do I navigate this now? Um, and and while we while we were coming out of our denial, we were fairly newly wed couples and were having young it's children, children, yeah. young 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 children, and so it, it's a it's an identity crisis for sure. Yeah, and and that is is no lightweight task to to work your way through, and so so certainly for me, counseling was incredibly helpful. I mean, I was probably in and out of counseling for, for I don't know, maybe four years, you know. Um, we'd go for six months, we'd maybe at a time, we'd take a little break, go back for, you know, another nine months to a year, take another yeah. break. You know, I mean, it, yeah. was, it was this, you know, just, just trying to sort through more. And for me, part of it was sorting through memories and trying to make sense of... Um, is this really as bad as I think it is? Right. You know, and that's and that's where the two of us joining forces made such a difference, and that's one of the things that motivated us to want to tell our story is that because there were things that I was trying to convince myself did not happen the way I remembered them. Uh, I was I was gaslighting myself. It couldn't possibly have been as that that couldn't possibly have happened because that is just awful and cruel. There must have been something else that was going on that I can't remember or was not aware of. And I would share a memory like that with Jenny and she'd go, Oh no, no, that's exactly how it went down. It and then this exactly is what happened like afterward. Yeah. Yes. This was so the next it's step. like, Oh yeah. my God. Um, but I think Jenny just hit on an important answer to part of what you asked us, Valeria, and that is what did we put together in a different way that maybe we didn't emphasize as much in the book, but became clearer after we put the book out. And that is, this idea of identity crisis, like it really is an identity crisis when you come out of denial about having grown up in an abusive, addicted family, because you've been told who you are. You, the only the only validation you get as a child is in playing your role properly, which means mm -hmm. that's what you do. And so it's like, well, if I'm not the hero, who am I really? And so I had created this whole all this anxiety and, um, you know, the perfectionism patterns of behavior that I knew were a problem long before I knew why they were a problem. And, you know, another thing I, d I discovered after we wrote the book is, is Jenny has been very um, honest in uh, her struggles with anxiety and depression her entire life is, is for as long as she can remember. She talked about in the podcast, she talked about in the book and I've always felt bad that I've not struggled in that way. And it wasn't until after we put the book out, I thought, oh, wait a minute. What is perfectionism but anxiety? Like, <laughs> yes. You're not anxious. <laughs> There's true. no reason to be trying oh, to be perfect. God. So, you know, so it's one of those things where I just, it was part of the hero. I felt like I was high functioning. I can do it. I can do anything, you know. And it wasn't, and I, you know, it was so silly to, for me to realize that I had been living with anxiety my whole life and not knowing it. I had never been like diagnosed or had medications or anything like that because it was so normal to me. Yeah. It didn't feel like something was wrong. It's just the way I, I lived, yeah. you know. Hypervigilance. So, yeah. You live in a state of fight or flight all yeah. the time. Yeah. So You don't know any different. So yeah. we, it, it really is true that um, it's a good question you asked, Valeria, that there were things that came into a different focus for us. Oh, goodness. As yeah. a result of doing the book and then even after the book came out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's what I thought. Wow, yeah. listening to you, it's beautiful. And at the same time, there's this 
this feeling of sadness, because I know that's it's what I've been through as well. And so many people I know and I speak speak with so many people around me. So I guess the the a big picture question for now within this topic of suffering of pain and then trying to heal from the pain and then finding ourselves again is how do you make sense of all this in the sense of suffering? Why do we suffer? Do you actually, do you go back to spirituality? Do you find answers there or have you found, yeah, where did you find an answer for that? If you have one for both of you. So Jenny and I have both come to believe in reincarnation, that we come over multiple lifetimes to learn lessons. And the ultimate lesson is just how to love. Um, I wouldn't go so far. I know there's some people that say, well, you know, look what you did. You did this great thing with the pain that you experienced in your childhood. And therefore, it's somehow great that it that it worked out this way, like it was meant to be. Or I don't know. Sometimes people have these really predestined ideas um, like you signed up for this lesson. Well, I signed up for lessons, but I did not sign up to be abused, no. right? So so people have free will. They get to make choices. And they don't always make good choices. I don't always make good choices. I think I'm a good person. I know I don't always make good choices. So I think that the, the suffering comes from the imperfection in human beings. And um, I also have a real hard time with the whole... We all do the best we can at the time. Uh, granted, yeah, some I of us have limited understanding, that. and so they don't know what they're doing. But I know I have not personally done my best in all situations, and I've been conscious of it in the moment. Like I'm being bratty or I'm being demanding or whatever, and I have not found it within me to stop myself. So mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't like that either. I know that our parents, uh, we know that our in, in terms of what we experience, we come from a long line of intergenerational trauma. And so we have compassion for our parents and what they experienced. But I mean, at the, at the bare minimum, when we told them how they were hurting us and begged them to stop and they escalated the abuse. That is not doing your best. No, that is not excused by experiencing intergenerational trauma. No. So we're, we are, I and guess at this point, it's, and I have to say, go ahead. That any time, that an adult does things behind closed doors right. out of the view of other people. They know what they are doing is wrong. And that was done to us over and over and over again. So on that, on that count, mm-hmm. I have to hold our parents accountable because they knew on some level yeah. every time yep. what they did was wrong. Yeah. Or they would not have felt the need to hide it. And that's an important point for people to remember. And and I do I do also take issue, I gotta say, what? with people that say, but look at all the good that you have done yes. with what was done to you, because that completely negates how our lives were hijacked and the incredible amount of suffering that any survivor has to overcome. Yeah. It comes at a tremendous cost to the survivor. And so so I think it's important to give, give the survivors credit for the work that they are doing and continuing to do to be loving presence uh, uh, on, in human form. Yeah, in because their own lives. Right? It, it is a tremendous, at a tremendous cost and with tremendous effort. It is so true, so true, so true. Uh, yes, I, 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 why can I say enough? I agree a, a billion percent <laughs> with the both of you. Yes, 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 yeah. And I call it ignorance. And it's not ignorance yes. in the sense of uh, pejorative, but it's really ignoring what is true, what is here, which it is present all the time. And the sense that we are connected, that we are, that we share a reality here. It's so, it was so clear to me as a child, even seeing that, like, how come, you know, my parents were so abusive and I couldn't, I was trying to make peace within that because I didn't understand, as a child, I didn't understand. And it doesn't have to be this way because um, I could sense that, like, you know, we are, we are the same. 
although we are not the same mentally, but uh, that's that was uh, the way I tried to make sense make sense of all this in the in the very beginning. Now it's uh, it's really seen clearly that it is the byproduct of ignorance, all the violence we see, the unkindness. It really is. And, and, and I have to say, it's spiritual. I always go to spirituality because that's how I found myself. Not who I am, but what I am, which is the reality that's shared with everyone. That's, that, that's it. That's it's very clear to me. But I, and I wonder why it's not clear uh, for, for some of us. Because I do not believe that we are, it's one reality. So it's one God. It's, uh, it's one life. So. Oh, yes. Wow, there's a storm here. I, actually, I love everything about even the storms, which is interesting, like in the sense of embrace and everything as it is. Mm-hmm, and yes. sometimes we do have to embrace as a child. I had to embrace the violence as it was, you know, on the darkness as it was happening because we had, I had no way out of that. No, right. You had right. to survive it, yeah. Right. Going back to reincarnation, this idea, and I do uh, kind of have a feeling that, yeah, something continues. But... I wonder if we could choose to be free from suffering in this lifetime and then be liberated from it. Hmm. So I don't, I guess I don't know enough about the teachings of reincarnation to know what any particular person would say about that. I, I, my, based on my feeling, yeah, my feeling based on the, all the different reading that I've done is that we are continuing to learn in this plane and we keep coming back to learn. And once we have reached some sort of mark, then we graduate to another dimension. I have no idea what that looks like. I don't know if that means we are um, helping to guide others who are in the physical plane. Um, Certainly yogic tradition is that you continue to develop until you go back to source, go back to, to the creator. Um, I don't know. I, but I, I do. I do agree with you, um, Valeria. That I think that it is about spiritual development. I think that if you, if you do have that sense of true connection with your fellow beings, then not not that you're that makes you a perfect person, but it certainly keeps you from the greater cruelty. I think yes. that that many people engage in. It's it's our it's our it's our illusion of separateness that causes us to treat each other so so mm-hmm. harshly so cruelly. Yeah. It's if we if we recognize that we are truly all drops of water in the same ocean, we really are all interconnected. We really are all one. And if we if we recognize that, then you don't see the road rage. You don't see that. You know. I mean, you don't have this 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 illusion of separateness. Yes, we have our own individual personalities and and experiences that we are meant to experience in this life, but but we truly are all connected. Mm-hmm. And certainly, certainly, there's you know if you get into quantum physics and reading about you know how how you know experiments of people sending love and love from their heart to another person's heart, literally energy is being transmitted, mm-hmm. and and that is such a beautiful you know, example in uh, his science has showed us of how we truly are all connected energetically and, and, and we, we matter to each other. And I, and that's why I truly believe that we can uplift the entire planet just by, by trying to uplift ourselves, by trying to love more, by trying to, to love ourselves more and, and those lives around us that we touch. Mm-hmm. It really is a ripple effect. Yes. Yes, yes. Again, a, a trillion times to that. It, to me, that's where, that's where we need help with, really, spirituality, going deeper into what we are. And it, this interesting thing is when, I know you mentioned identity, that in a sense, the deeper you go and then you, you find out what you are, then who you are doesn't really matter. That identity just mm. gets lost. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. For me, it has been the case. And it's just being present to what is present and doing the things that it's just being, I'm, I'm called to do. But it doesn't mm-hmm. feel, even like I said to you before about saying yes to something that I meant to say maybe or no. 
doesn't feel like a burden anymore. It used to. Now it's like, mm-hmm. ah, it's all right. <laughs> and it, there's that sense of freedom in it. And it's not free will. I don't, if we, what we are essentially is freedom, then free will would apply only to those who believe they're separate. They believe they're doing something on, on their own. They are, although it is another illusion, as you said, Jenny, the word illusion, that's what it is. Free will to me, it is. An, an illusion that's coming from the, the separate self, the one who believes mm. is separate from life itself, which is freedom. So, gosh, I you just got me going with this one. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> forever, forever. <laughs> spirituality is what I really, <laughs> I mean, healing spirituality is one and the same to me. It's going to that, yeah. <laughs> that destination if it is one. And speaking of that, what does healing feel like these days? Like this process is still happening in, what does it feel like for you? What's healing now? Because you well, sound healing, healed to me, both of you. Well, it's, it's funny because, it, you know, what, it's what you just said. It's freedom. Mm-hmm. It's not being, um, our reactions are not, well, I guess I, I guess I don't know that we'll ever be free totally from what we experience and some of the conditioning associated with it, but it's not, um, you know, being free from kind of the knee-jerk reactions that we, you know, worked to overcome most of our our adult life. It's being um, being free to express who we are, being free to choose what we feel called to do as opposed to what we think we ought to do or what we think somebody else thinks we ought to do. Um, it is, and it's and it's being a more loving person, knowing that when I interact with someone that I am a positive presence with them in that moment. All of those things to me are markers mm-hmm. of healing. Yes. And and healing, understanding that healing is ongoing for, for us. To, for example, you know, an hour and a half ago, we were doing aura energy clearing on each other. When we get together, this is something we, we do for each other. Um, and, and we are allowing source god you know to guide us in this in this healing that we that we do for each other in our energy bodies and our physical body and i mean recognizing that we are free to explore whatever healing we feel called to whatever mm-hmm. whatever the next step is right. and and honoring that honoring who we are fully living i think as fully as we can day to day um the, the fullest and truest expression of ourselves. That's, that's healing to me, embracing all of who we are without, without fear, without feeling the need to hide anything. That's a big part of, of our talking about this, writing the book, the podcast is, is releasing, like we, we've hidden this part of our history for so long because Nobody wants to hear about it, right? Shame is is heaped on trauma survivors of any kind. And um, so just just talking about it, just writing about it, just speaking about it in the podcast is a way of saying, we're doing this differently. We're, we're okay. There's nothing wrong with us. Mm-hmm. And not only can we talk about it, we want to talk about it because we are convinced it will help other people. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, and you are. Gosh, you have made a huge impression in the body-mind in this case. Oh, and I, thank you. And I make a, a distinction between the body-mind because they are not separate, but they tend to kind of carry those imprints. And some of mm-hmm. them are not, we cannot be erased. Even the body itself, the only way not to be here. How can we not be here physically? We right. are here. <laughs> we can delete that <laughs> from right. this reality. So it keeps going. That's... But I love the idea that we can bring the flavor of that freedom to the body-mind. That's what you're doing. That's the work of healing, what it does. Because it can be felt. It's incredible how I felt the first time we talked here and then today and before this energy. It's very powerful. And it seems like something in me, it's kind of uh, connecting your healing energy from what you went, went through to similar patterns of energy around me, which got, it has to be my own probably from body, mind too, of course. And then my, my husband and his family and my own family in Brazil. So it's interesting, like all this coming, it comes alive again, but in a, in a 
under the beautiful light of healing, of love, of kindness. So thank you for bringing this, um, this back because I don't often do that. I kind of, I'm a, a student of Vedanta, it's a spiritual Hindu, spiritual philosophy. So I kind of keep myself focused on the absolute, on part of, of everything that's peaceful, that's clear, that's pure. So I always keep, my, the mind is focused on that and rarely kind of wander <laughs> in all the other realms like this, only when I have the, the invitation. And thank you for inviting the energies here. So it feels really amazing. Thank you so much thank for that, you so much. Yeah, yeah, the heart opens. <laughs> That's what it is. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful to see mm -hmm. that. So we are almost at the end. And I'm not sure, did we address those two questions? I know you had two the main questions about how did you both manage to build uh, healthy partnerships with your husbands and then also ending the cycle of suffering within your own children. And of course, a question that doesn't want, it's still coming up for me is, did you, your mother, father and brother, did they ever read the book? I don't know that they know. We published it, to oh, be honest. Right. Yeah. Okay, so... so so that's the answer to that question. Good. Yeah. <laughs> I was short. <laughs> what about this, those two questions? The main topics, actually, because now I got, I had the notes here, but then, like I, I mentioned before, I just kind of love being spontaneous in the moment. And new questions came up. But did we address the topic of managing to have a healthy relationship with your husbands and also now how to, how did you both end the cycle of parenting? of suffering abuse with your own children. Yes, those two points. Oh, I think we touched on them. I think we, did, we did, right? Them. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so we addressed both of them. Because sometimes, like, yeah, I have to make notes of everything. Because if I don't, I just kind of, uh, it's like, you probably have heard that in Zen Buddhism, they say, done and forgotten. It's so easy yes. to yeah. just <laughs> say something about, you know, whatever's here, and then I forget, I forget, just forget the rest. <laughs> and, and maybe that's what also it's, um, I don't know, it's, it's easier for me to have fun and and kind of joy arises more often. It might be the case though. Like, um, although I have been through lots of abuse with my parents, you know, I talk to them almost every day. That rarely arises. That feeling of resent, no more resentment. Nothing comes up actually, unless we start talking about that, which I, I never do. It has been ten years now without even having um. Because I know if I did mention anything then I know they are in denial and I know everything. It would just turn into something else. So I guess I would love to hear from you. Like in, in, in people who listen to this episode and they are in my situation where I'm still in contact with my family, although I know they didn't change. Is that something that, yeah, is that something that you, you actually not recommend, but what... What do you think about that? Is that something that only people who are involved in spirituality practices like I do, which is only turning my attention to the absolute, which is pure, there's nothing really happening there that allows me to kind of relate to everyone as at, at the same level, just forget everything that happened in the past and, and everything becomes new and, and clean and clear to me for some reason. That's how it's happening. So talk to me for a moment about that, if you don't mind. Well, we actually tried that. Um, you know, I mentioned that we had intermittent contact with our parents and uh, we tried uh, to, okay, can I, can we just have a conversation? We'll set aside what happened in the past and, and maybe our relationship will be very superficial since we can't really talk about these things that are so substantial. Can we just exchange pleasantries? Let me know what's going on in your life. I'll tell you about mine, et cetera. And they just wouldn't allow it. They kept, um, they kept talking about how much pain we had caused them by breaking contact um, with them in the first place. And um, it, they, just, they just escalated the abuse, particularly the emotional abuse of Jenny. And it just got to the point where it, 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 we realized it wasn't feasible because we, we wanted to be clear that we had exhausted every possible alternative for maintaining contact with them. And they just wouldn't, they couldn't meet us at that point. So I, I can see why someone would do that. I wanted to do that because I did not want to 
I did not want them. They're both still alive. I did not want them to die and feel like I had been a horrible daughter who, you know, didn't try hard enough to find a way to still have a relationship with them. I now have peace about that because I tried over and over and over. They would call me and say, we don't understand. And I would explain to them over and over and over. And they just continued to be angry and to mistreat us. They just, they just would not, they would not do what you are describing. Just let's put the past in the past and just try to see if we can have a relationship now. They just, they wouldn't have it. So they didn't leave us an alternative really. Yes. It's very different. It is. I guess also what it's easier for the body mind in my case is that they are far from me. They are in Brazil. I'm in, in Florida. Mm. So it's just yeah. the really communication by phone. And like you said, Ron, it's true. It's very superficial, the relationship. It's not. Yeah. I can't yeah. go into any deep conversations with them about right. anything. So, yes. I think I guess I'm coming also from the place where whatever's been called. So they, they keep calling me and contacting me. And they're not bringing up the past in a sense of they're not trying to abuse me from here. <laughs> so right. that's really, it makes it easier to, uh, yeah. I would say. Yeah. Right? yeah, I would say people need to protect themselves. They need yes. to do what they feel they have to, to protect themselves, their children, their partners, you know, whoever it is they're, they are in relationship with. Right. Yeah, so has been has been the case. And I know they invite, they, they keep inviting me to go to Brazil, to go to visit them. But there's something about, my body and that doesn't it doesn't really respond positively. So yeah. It's a call also is a calling to just not be around them physically. Um mm-hmm. so I know that, that that's not it won't happen yeah. anytime yeah. soon. Yeah. I would like to end the podcast with a question. So let's see. I remember asking you the question about I, I guess I'll ask you this open question about if there is one if if there's one message you wish everyone to take with them, to remember, to contemplate, to reflect upon from this conversation, what would that be? So one for you, Ronnie, and one for you, Jeannie. Mm. The one message. Yes, if there is one. I, I guess I would say for someone who is in a similar situation, who is trying to heal from family trauma or abuse, is that, and this kind of comes full circle, what we talked about at the beginning, is that it is okay to take care of yourself, whatever that means. If it means distancing yourself from your from family members, if it means cutting off contact with family members, uh, doing it for a while while you kind of sort things out and then figuring out how you want to bring people back, whatever it is. Um, Jenny talked earlier about feeling called to try things, experiment, read new books, go seek out a therapist, um, look for spiritual ways to heal, uh, look at energy healing. I mean, anything that seems intriguing to you in the least, try it because it may be your higher self, your guides, whomever sort of giving you a clue. Let's, let's take a look here. And because we, we have found that healing can come in the most unusual mm-hmm. ways and places. True. Yes, absolutely. Love that. Yeah. And I, and I think that, that I would, encourage people to come back to your to your heart trust your heart if you've grown up with adverse childhood experiences then you've been living in a state of of hypervigilance fight or flight survival mode and you've been living out of a place of fear and so if if anything will help you heal the in the most expansive and and peaceful way, and that would be to follow your heart. Your heart knows what it is longing for, which is peace and love, and your heart will guide you. So trust your heart. Wow. Oh, <laughs> I'm like overwhelmed <laughs> with, the, with your <laughs> wisdom, your timeless wisdom to me, <laughs> spiritual wisdom. Wow. You, you ladies are beautiful. Yeah. Thank you so much. For thank being you so much. So are you. You are beautiful. You are a beautiful soul. Thank you so much for having uh, us. Thank you. Uh, what's the best place to find more information about you? I do have the website here, but besides the website. So the website, so people can follow us on Instagram. And if they go to the link in our bio, um, we have a link to our website, to our podcast, to our book, 
to uh, short articles that we've written that have offered tips on healing, um, reviews of our book, all different kinds of things. So if they find us on Instagram, Ronnie and Jenny, R-O-N-N-I and Jenny, J-E-N-N-I-E, that link in our Instagram bio gets them everything. Uh, wonderful. Yeah, I have that link here. And I also have the website, heartandsoulsisters.net. So that will be under the podcast profile. Thank you so much again for your presence. And we'll talk soon. Bye for now, Jeannie oh, and Ronnie. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you so Be well. Much. Many blessings. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Ronnie Tishner and Jenny Weaver and their work, please visit heartandsoulsisters.net. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.